0: This is the iRead Comic Books podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. This week, I'm joined by two French fries that I found under the seat of my 1996 four door Honda Civic, Nick White. I feel like there's a story there.
1: I'm not so sure I want to hear it.
0: <laughs> and Kate Lamphere. I'm still salty. Oh, gross. All right. Oh, uh, no. Welcome That's back it. to iRead Comic bad. Books. We're done. Thank you guys for joining us this week. I'm very excited. We're back after a summer break. Really hope that you enjoyed all the Patreon stuff that we dropped in the feed. A Better Batmobile Episode 1 is in that feed. That came out last week. I hope you dug that as well as everything else. Before we get into things, I've got two special announcements. Number one, I want to shout out our new patrons, Roger and Megan. Welcome to Comic Books. We're so excited for you to get access to all the backlog stuff that we have on Patreon, let us know what you think. Send us an email at ircbpodcast.com. And if you aren't a member of the Patreon, why not? It's over at patreon.com slash podcast. We'd love to hear what you think about all that stuff. So sign up for at least a month. Give us a try and let us know. If you didn't like it, send me an email. I'll, I'll personally read it and cry. But I will feel good that at least you were giving us a little bit of attention. Uh, the other thing I want to say is you may have seen this on Twitter. You may have seen this on our Discord if you're already a member. But the entire IRCB crew had some amazing portraits made by Flynn Nichols. Ice Level, at Ice Level on Twitter. They are so fun. Super cute. Um, you're going to see them on this week's episode show, Art. Uh, make sure you check them out. Go check out Ice Level on Twitter. Commission something from them. They're incredible. But anyways, let's get into things. Let's talk about comic books because I have two legally mandated questions that I have to ask because every week on I Read Comic Books, we are here to talk about comic books. And those questions are, how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Nick.
1: Uh, I've, I've been good. Uh, I know everyone hasn't had a a West Michigan weather watch for about a month. I don't know how you've been determining how to go outside or when to go outside. Uh, that's a trick (laughs) question. You should never go outside. Right. Uh, it's a dangerous place. And, um, yeah, West Michigan weather watch would be, uh, don't, don't go to the beach. Apparently it's just a red flag, double red flag, uh, constantly. Um, not what does that, that I mean? Go... That means like don't go swimming, which I don't need an invitation to not go swimming. Okay. I also don't. Okay. I also don't like sand. I think that's been elaborated upon by um, Hayden Christensen in two thousand and two, two thousand and five. I don't remember sure, which movie sure. that was in. Um, as for comics, I've been reading. Um, can I just say this about manga? I, I used to make fun of this a little, but I do like how the title of most manga. Pretty much tells you whether or not it's for you for the most part. Mm-hmm. It'll okay. be like, oops, I was an old man and I fell in a sewer grate and I got transported into a high fantasy kingdom where I am the jester. And you're like, okay, I know exactly what this book is perfect. It's for me. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. fine. In the same vein, I read a book called Knights uh, with a Cat, Volume One. And no, that's like nothing weird. Uh, it is literally a guy whose uh younger sister moves in with him and she brings her cat literally yeah this is not the most complicated plot you'll ever read this is not like the um you know sequel to mind management okay uh literally she brings her cat with her and this guy who's never had a cat before and not really been around cats much basically attempts to befriend the cat which Anyone who knows anything about cats knows that that's uh, going to be met with mixed results. Um, <laughs> I, I do want to point this out. I, I put in, in notes, uh, he, he attempts to befriend his furry roommate, but I'm talking about the cat. His sister isn't a furry. Okay. Not that there's a problem with being a furry. <laughs> I just want to clear that up for anyone who who reads the Patreon notes later. That's what's going on there. Um, okay. Okay. So yeah, he's like, he 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 struggles with all the, the typical cat problems. You know, the cat who excitedly brings you the cat toy and then just doesn't want to do anything with it. Like, the cat's so excited to bring it to you, but that's it. Uh, we all know about the cat who knocks things off of ledges or tables, who wants to hang out in cardboard boxes and doesn't care about any, like, actual bed or anything that you've made or built for the cat. Um, yeah, it's 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 a lot of stuff that I think people who are cat owners can relate to, but also because the
0: internet is for cats. I think most people at this point can probably relate to. I I have not heard someone say that out loud in many, many years. The internet is for cats. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Let
1: me tell you about eBomb's world while I'm at it. And then I know, I know, go down the list. Um, We'll go, we'll, we'll revisit Mark Zuckerberg's angel fire um, websites that he made. So yeah, it's, it's a nice low stakes read. It's charming and endearing without being too saccharine or like trying to lean into the humor because it's it's you know it'll bring a smile to your face but it's not like you're gonna be rolling in the aisles uh yeah it's it's just an endearingly fun low stakes book and i would recommend it um one thing i did notice that was kind of interesting and i haven't seen manga that does this um it's it's largely black and white like most manga is but then it uses occasional spots of color to highlight items like in one scene where the cat discovers the cardboard box like the cardboard box will be painted brown it'll just be like a splash of brown over the box and it almost (laughs) reminded me of like how black magic uses color
0: uh by greg rucka um but yeah i hadn't seen that before I've seen that. It's it's so funny that you say that because I've noticed that every once in a while in Kaiju number eight in the Weekly Shonen Jump app, they'll have like every once in a while there'll be a spot of red. Mm. And One Punch Man recently had a couple of like one off full color page inserts. Um, I think it's like... It's like a rare thing. Like maybe a book is super popular or if it was like in the first couple of chapters or maybe yeah. even the first chapter, they're like, this is your special chapter, or first chapter. You know, you can do something extremely like striking to draw people into your book. Um, it's it's used very rarely, but I think it's done for like an impact thing because like you said, these books are typically black and white and like they're pin- they're printed in such like cruddy paper on, from a, on a weekly basis um, that they would they would really have to go above and beyond in order to get that color stuff. And that's interesting that this book does that.
1: Yeah, that was definitely something I hadn't, hadn't really seen before. You know, I've definitely seen with, with a lot of books, how either, you know, like the first couple of volume, the first couple of pages of a trade, or maybe even the first full, what do you want to call it? Story segment, uh chapter, mm-hmm. chapter, the first whole chapter might be in color, but I'd never seen it where it's like just sporadically throughout the whole thing. So that was weird. I also read Hellboy in the BPRD Time is a River uh, story by Mike Mignola art by Mark Laszlo colors by Dave Stewart letters by Clem Robbins uh, because the last two are always going to like maybe like Mike Mignola just can't get them to leave his house. And that's just (laughs) that's just how it is. Yeah. yeah. Dave and Clem. They won't leave. Um, They're just forever squatters on on Mike Mignola titles. I'm I'm kidding. Uh They're both very talented dudes. All I really want to say much about this book is that I'm I'm sort of done with the last couple issues of Hellboy and the BPRD um, sort of just jumping all over the place. I, I think for those who kind of follow Hellboy lately, um, Hellboy and the BPRD tends to have a year at the end of it. Currently, they're on 1957, and for the last couple months, they've... Uh, removed and abandoned the year thing uh, so that they could just literally jump all over the place and tell whatever story they want. I think this one, sure. for example, is like, I think 1989. That was fine, but like, I'm kind of done with it. Like they had their fun. They had an issue where they got Gabriel Walter to do the art. That was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, they found an excuse to get Hellboy to engage with Greek mythology and have a cover issue where he's wearing a toga. And that was kind of funny. But I'm, I'm sort of done with the gags and goofs, and I'd like to go back to my traditional four issue story arc, uh, especially because there were a lot of interesting and kind of fun supplementary characters in the mm-hmm. ongoing narrative that are just kind of being, you know, we haven't seen them for a while. And in as much as Hellboy canon is weird and screwy, and I think most people don't have a super huge inclination to like deep dive into it. Uh, I I would just like the sort of uh, continuous overarching story back. Uh, we we had our fun, Mike. Uh, let's just. Uh, but but you know, I feel I feel like we've flown too close to the sun. I feel like it's you know when when Buster Bluth you know they they build him the bike in Arrested Development and then he's like you know that was too much excitement. Um, that's me. That's me. Like I've had my fun, and you know. Uh, I, I wanna go back to my regimented uh reading. Sure. And then briefly I, I, I will just bring up uh because it came out a couple weeks ago and of course we were on break and um I'm just sick of everybody like clamoring and shouting at me about Tell us about your takes on the Alien Annual, Mm -hmm. they say.
0: It's all over the Discord, all over Twitter.
1: All over. It's so annoying. I leave the house. The neighbors are shouting at me. It might be about the Alien Annual. It might be about other things. (laughs) (laughs) Nick, tell Um, us about
0: this Alien Annual, please.
1: Yeah. So this is the team that we've had uh, basically from the beginning of – you know, when Alien restarted with Marvel in 2021, Philip Kennedy Johnson on writing, Salvador LaRocca on art, Guru EFX Mm -hmm. on colors, Clayton Coles on letters, kind of an interesting choice here. It's not a follow-up to the second arc, aka the most recent arc we had, Revival. Uh, It doesn't take place in between the two. It's actually a prequel to the first arc. It's, It's a lot of fan service. It's... Philip Kennedy Johnson obviously basically took the main bullet points of, of what people like about alien and aliens and more or less squeezed the whole thing into an issue. You know, the alien that goes around the ship and slowly picks off the crew from alien. And then also the ragtag military group of, of uh, you know, platoon of heroes taking on these alien foes from aliens. Uh, and, 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 and giving it to people. And, you know, I, I think fan, there's nothing wrong with fan service every once in a while. You know, it's, it just becomes a problem when fans come to expect it. So it's, it's, it's fine. I think there's a really fun little twist for people that remember the first movie well enough. I won't say anything more about that. And, and I honestly think it was one of the strongest issues of, mm. of the run. Of course, uh, this is the last issue with this team. Uh, There will be a new artist. I don't think they've announced a date for that book, which at least in some promotional materials, they decided to change the name of the book to A, right? So we made fun of Squirrel Girl getting retitled like four times in a year, but Uh they have decided it looks like, we'll see if it's true, that uh, Alien is going to become just A for the... And that's the letter A, not E H. Like, you know, that would be <laughs> not something. Yeah. I think we got. I think yeah, yeah. yeah they're, so
0: they're gearing up so that they can eventually do an A V P book, and they're gonna have a P book, and there's gonna be a V book, and it's it's gonna be <laughs> some. <laughs> just 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 get excited for the alphabet of of horror books from Disney and Marvel. Um, but before we get any further into that, uh, Kate, how about you? How have you been? How have comic books been? What have you been reading?
2: I've been good. I really, well, I'm going to say that I enjoyed the July break from uh, recording new episodes, but I also Mm -hmm. missed everyone and having plans on Sundays. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Um, I've been trying to get through the the 2022 Goodreads reading challenge. So I've read quite a few books off of that. Um, Nice. I do want to say that I've also been sending content to Renee to make TikToks for our TikTok account. So if you haven't seen that and you're on TikTok, get on there and uh, comment on all of these library books that I'm reading and sharing there. (laughs) I always make sure to send him pictures, and then no one comments. And I'm like, "Is this? Is it supposed to be a commenting social media? Is this just not to what TikTok?" Kate's, does? Kate's
1: like, "Please get on here, because I feel like I'm shouting into the void." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's social Someone media. Talk
0: it's back. It's mostly shouting into the void. Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay, I'm doing it right.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're you're fine. You're totally fine.
2: Uh, I most recently read Dragon Hoops by Jean Lewin Yang. Uh, this was Matt D's pick for the reading challenge. This is the same creator that wrote boxers and saints and also wrote a number of the avatar or last airbender comics. If you're familiar with those, mm-hmm. I see those all all over the place. So if you, if you read comics, you've probably at least seen them on shelves. Um, this is yeah. a nonfiction book about a basketball team at a high school that this creator teaches at. Um, he's, he's also a teacher on top of a comic book creator. Like this guy must be incredibly busy. He also has kids. <laughs> yeah Uh,
0: so It's, it's this weird thing where some creators they find an extra day in the week i think that's that's what happens
2: yeah i mean he he actually talks about how he like splits his time too that's part of the book which is really interesting um like he he this book isn't entirely just about this basketball team it's also about just the creator's uh process to create the book to decide to write this book to he actually talks about how he's not even a sports person so he, he doesn't have any idea how to write about sports but this is the story that he wants to tell <laughs> so there's these he's like what? Well, uh, what yeah there are multiple <laughs> conversations with his wife where he's like i have to write this book and she's like so then write the book and he's like but i don't know sports <laughs>
1: Nick, how how this is uncomfortably meta does this get? Because this sounds very <laughs> uncomfortable. Like this is like three degrees of meta now. It works. Like. It, it
0: sounds like we need to read it, Nick. Yeah, That's what needs yeah, to happen. Yeah. We, we should probably finish and participate in the Goodreads reading challenge and read this book. Yeah, so it, sneaky. I like that pivot there. Ooh,
2: this is uh, this is a, a sports book though. Like even though there's a significant part of this book where the guy where the creator Gene is like I. I don't know this content. (laughs) He does manage to make the content still. Um, So it does talk about the members of the team and how like it is really interesting because like uh, this team is, is set up to go to the, the California state championships for their, um, high school division whatever that's called I don't even remember this was only like a week ago (laughs) Um, but it talks about how all these kids have different goals when it comes to basketball or how they don't even want to play professionally and it's just really interesting to see how how there's so much focus for the entire school and like all of these kids to to get to this championship game and then Mm -hmm. some of them are just like yeah I'm gonna go study something completely different in college and not play professionally and it's like, wow, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. that's not the focus of the book. <laughs> you know? uh, the focus of the book is basketball. Come on. Yeah. Uh, but there are also extensive end notes about Gene's actual experience uh, with this with this entire story. It was over a year. So he talks about how some conversations or some events, some games are reordered just kind of for dramatic purposes to make it a better book, like in storytelling. Sure. In a storytelling way. Um so there was all like some very intentional decision making and he points it all out like he's he's very conscient conscientious of the fact that this happened in real life and there were numerous people involved and and yet he kind of mm-hmm. had to make it work in a book. Um Sure.
0: It's like how Top Gun is based on real life but they rearrange things so that you didn't really know what conflict they were talking about, right? Right that's that's not true. I'm completely making that. Uh, yeah, I good. Believe it. It's not you. based on real life. Like, hold on. <laughs>
1: Nick, the things he's saying, they're not true.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Kate, go ahead.
2: Um I so this actually worked really well for me because I am also not a sports person, but I like this creator mm-hmm. and I want to read all the things on on this reading challenge. So the fact that the creator was also not a sports person <laughs> was right up my alley <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um i ironically or maybe coincidentally july was also our our sports comics month on goodreads and and i actually ended up reading like two or three different sports books um somehow mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> it just kind of slotted in there really well um
1: uh how great would it have been if throughout this book where he's talking about how he has to do this book he gets talked out of doing the book yeah. But the book, con- <laughs> but the book continues like about his daily life and the things he did after being talked out of writing. The
2: yeah. Book.
1: <laughs> what a that I want that book.
2: That would have been exceptionally. <laughs> anyway, mad. I decided it
1: was a bad idea. The book continues for like
0: 300 more pages. Uh huh. Uh huh. Kate, what else did you read?
2: I read. I just finished uh, at 2 a.m. this morning. <laughs>
0: Nice. (laughs) Too late. Nice, nice.
2: Uh, It's the manga classics Count of Monte Cristo. This is based on the book by Alexander Dumas, and the adaptation is by Nachman Poon and Crystal Chan. This is exactly what it sounds like it's a manga adaptation of the classic story, but it is a brick at 400 pages, and that is shorter than the original book. And I want to say that the manga adaptation is very good. All of these classic manga adaptations have been really good um, in terms of adapting the story and the art and um, anytime that they have to like cut content out to make it a reasonable sized book, um, they've done a really good job at at those decisions. Um, And there are so many characters in this book. And I really wanted to point out that I can tell all of them apart, which is shocking because there are dozens like dozens of white men <laughs> and, and i can tell them all apart
0: <laughs> um <clears throat> oh, so sorry i had a question and you you've you've destroyed me uh, so, so the book was good sorry continue go ahead go ahead
2: um this was also another book that had a bunch of endnotes in it they actually like the creator went into some kind of detail about what was cut. And it turns out that not a lot was cut. They kind of went into saying, you know, like Alexander Dumas kind of goes off on these digressions that we, that we cut out because it wasn't important to the story. But for the most Mm -hmm. part, all of the subplots and all of the characters, individual stories are all in there. Um, There is some places where there's just boxes of a little bit of prose, just to kind of explain um this is what happened kind of off screen if you will
0: <laughs> to sure, keep the story right.
2: going but it's not like it's a page of prose or anything it's just a little bit of narration like we like it's not unusual in comics really it didn't take me out of the story or anything uh, sure. I do want to comment on the actual story <laughs> it's not the manga creator's fault though so <laughs> <laughs> um the actual story of the count of monte cristo is a story of revenge that's centered on one man who i find to be very angry and egotistical and he literally mm-hmm. thinks that his revenge mission is blessed by god he says that
0: a few times um don't we all and don't s- we all believe our missions are sent by god come on
2: <laughs> this podcast <laughs> is blessed by this god.
1: podcast
0: i mean we're all god. looking for validation
1: <laughs> some um, people just aim a little higher uh
0: <laughs>
1: yeah
2: yeah spoilers for the end of this uh very old classic story
1: yeah. um <laughs> century spoilers yeah. yeah go ahead
2: yeah. Uh, this man ends up in a romantic relationship with a girl that he literally raised since she was like four years old
0: oh <laughs> gross
1: oh my so maybe goodness just don't read the last few pages <laughs> yeah well that's why when some people go nick have you read all the classics i go not really not really Not all, and of them. and occasionally that gets uh validated by by people who did choose to read uh the yeah. classics, so yeah <laughs>
2: valid choice wow um yeah. yeah, actually speaking of of that exact point story uh story aside, I do love these manga adaptations, and I mm-hmm. have so many of these classic books on made my to read list that I just don't get around to in prose because mm-hmm. I don't want to <laughs> like,
1: <they're>... yeah. <laughs>
2: They're long. <laughs> there are other things I want to read. Um, but with when you adapt them to manga, they're so much quicker to read. And then you also have the art side of things to consider. Um, and it just makes it go. It's, it's a more, I don't want to say it's a more pleasant experience. I'm sure that some of these books are great without art, but um, sure. being a comic reader, they really, I guess, speak to me in a way that um, sitting down with a 200-year-old book uh, doesn't really interest me necessarily. Sure. So I've been making my way through this catalog of manga classics, and I'm going to continue doing that.
0: Cool. Well, I'm, I'm glad for the update. Cause I remember when you brought these up a while ago, I was like, that sounds like a really cool idea. And then I always go to their website and I'm intimidated by the number of books that they have. Um, Yes, But yeah, I'm glad that you're enjoying these. Maybe I'll check one of these out and finally read a classic piece of fiction. I just Um, pick
2: them up if I see them at the library. So which book I'm reading is not really my choice. (laughs) Okay.
0: Um, well, before I get into my uh, what I've been reading and stuff like that, uh, I have just been sitting on a joke for a minute that I want to just get out there. Um, Alexander Dumas, more like Alexander Dumbass. You know what I'm saying? Hey, <laughs> oh man, he's feeling that high-fiving. in the grave. He's They're definitely high fiving me through the camera right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, It's been a. (laughs) I'm getting thumbs down. (laughs) Um, I uh. So over the over the break that we had, I read a lot of comics. Um, a lot of okay comics. Nick and I I also wrote that joke over the break. Mike. uh, Mike's been sitting on the whole month. Uh, (laughs) No, Nick and I were talking about this. How like there's just been a lot of like just okay comics that have come out. Um, which are kind of disappointing. Um, I don't want to point at any specific book, but like I read a couple books that were just like a lot of hype on Twitter, a lot of hype in general from people in comics, and they were just like bad. Um, so I'm only going to talk about books that were really, really good. Um, first off, I want to talk about Public Domain number one and two. If you haven't had a chance to read this yet, this is the Chip Zdarsky book that he was originally making on his, uh, or he is originally making on his Substack. It's being co- published by Image Comics, which is awesome. Um, I'm kind of late to this, I know, because I didn't get on the substack train for him. I got on all the other substack trains, and they've been just okay. Um, I think there's a whole episode... Out there for Substack stuff to talk about in the future, but um, Zadarski's Substack is super cool, and I know everyone who reads it is super cool. Uh, but I grabbed it, when image, published it, um, and for a book, you know, that feels like it's retreading a story that many longtime comic fans probably know—the story of like Jack Kirby being screwed over by publishers and by Stanley and yada yada yada. Zdarsky, I think, takes that idea and spins it to add new depth, new characters, familiar relationships, and his exact brand of humor to the book. So like, if you liked the the humor that Zdarsky writes, I think into all of his books, uh, if you like some of the kind of dorky stuff that he did in Sex Criminals that wasn't sex jokes, I think you'll really like this book. Um, there's so much heart and intelligence in this story. Like, I gave up trying to draw parallels to real-world counterparts after a few pages because while they're there... Um, to start things off like if you if you know the story of jack kirby and stan lee and you just know how jack kirby's life kind of turned out with all of the publishers and other people just kind of screwing him over over the years in in some ways um, you'll understand where this story's coming from but that was only used as like a really simple foundation to get this story going and i think where the first two issues go are amazing if you've read further i'm sure that there's even more changes and more interesting stuff that happens but I really, really appreciated just how smart this whole book feels and how just really full of heart it is. Like, this book is so heartfelt. It's such a such a story about the love of comics and creation of comics. Um, I'm really excited to see where it goes. Um, so, yeah, I, I think if you haven't gotten your hands on these first couple of issues, wait for the first collection or of many collections. I actually don't know how much more about this book other than it's coming out, um, but it's really good. I, I really enjoyed this first two issues. The other book I want to talk about really quick is The Con Artist by Luke Healy. I I grabbed this at Forbidden Planet a few weeks ago because it was just like on a shelf. It's bright orange. It's really, really hard to miss. And I thought it was a cool looking book. Um, I love the simple line work style that they showed on the cover. If you like someone like Box Brown, I think you'll really enjoy the art style of this book uh but this book is about traversing the world of tough friendships anxiety feelings of inadequacy making bad choices and holding yourself accountable uh which is my favorite kind of comic because it makes me feel bad about myself and and that's exactly what i want um for like 150 <laughs> yeah, this pages though like- Yeah, true, true escapism here. Yeah, go on. (laughs) Well, you know, for a book that's like 150 pages, like it really manages to accomplish so much without feeling rushed or hollow. We really understand the main character. We really understand his relationship with his friend. Like it's a story about a guy and his friend, his buddy ends up getting hit by a bus. And so he has to go help him. And through that, their relationship—you—you you can feel this tension, this long, long time relationship that they've had, just being stretched even thinner than it already was, you know. And as someone who's in his like early thirties, this book book felt disgustingly relatable. Um, so I don't know if it's really going to be for everybody, but I really, really loved it, just because the the things that Healy I think manages to to tap into in this book, um, are very tough to really define to anybody this idea of you need to have confidence to do something like the main character is a stand-up comedian that takes a lot of confidence but at the same time he has a lot of anxiety and social like anxiety and worries and all the types of things that i think a lot of people just run through their heads about like is this person my friend? Are they just putting up a front? How, do I actually know this person? Like Things that I think we've all run into at some point in our lives. But I think this book really nails all of those feelings and also how to deal with those feelings and how we need to just press on with life um, despite our own anxieties and, and insecurities. So I I really, really love this. And I want to say shout out to anybody who saw my mini review on our TikTok we're plugging TikTok a lot today. We've been trying to put a lot of effort into it. But yeah, really, really good book. Highly recommend it if you're looking for uh, an interesting graphic novel. It's a little pricey. It's from Drawn and Quarterly, but it's a super high quality book. Um, the last thing I'll say here, honorable mentions. Um, I read Crazy Food Truck Volume 1. Uh, it's a manga. It's bonkers. It's stupid. It's pretty enjoyable, um, even if it is a little pervy at times. Uh, I read X Force, <laughs> volume one, aka the prequel volume, the first of two prequel volumes to X Statics by Peter Milligan and Mike Allred. Um, I'm finally reading this series, but boy, is it wordy. That first volume, though, is perfect. It's It's a wonderful story about the stupidity of the x-men at the time and my favorite part about that whole volume was the letters in the back of the book where people are writing in pissed off one that they hate mike allred's art and two that wow yeah no no this is dude this was a time this is a time uh and also there are people screaming about how how unbelievable it would be to have multiple gay people on an x-men team um and to which peter Billigan and his editors are just like hey hey guess what fuck you <laughs> it's it's awesome um i i love it uh, it turns out that comic book readers have always been bigoted fuckheads uh for many many years This came out in like 2001 So um, it's really interesting. Uh, I've been enjoying the reading it. It's just very wordy. It like puts me to sleep given how wordy some of the issues have been. Uh, But I think what Milligan and his and the creative team were trying to do with that book is pretty ambitious. Um, And it's really in your face uh, for a book that's, you know, came out from Marvel. But this is pre acquisition when Marvel had the potential to actually say something interesting versus now where everything has to be safe. Uh, So that's my hot take of this week. Finally, I want to talk about Saga number 60. All I want to say is I hate Brian K. Vaughan, I hate Fiona Staples. I can't believe I cried over a single issue of a comic book like this. Um, what an issue. What a way to end their first arc back. I, ugh, Saga. Anyways, let's, let's talk about comic books that are coming out. Every week on I Read Comic Books, we're talking about comic books that are on the top of our pile, whether they're new or old or something that you've just been meaning to read or want to read in the near future. That's the top of our pile. So to get things started, Nick, tell us what's on the top of your pile.
1: So for me, it's got to be Survival Street, number one. This is written by James Asmus and Jim Festante. Art by Abile Kusinayov, Colors by Ellie Wright. Letters by Taylor Esposito. You can currently read the number zero issue for free at a link on CBR exclusively, which will be posted in the show notes. Some of us might be familiar with James Asmus. He wrote, um, he had a pretty long run on Gambit in 2012. He wrote several arcs of Thief of Thieves. And Jim Festante, who wrote The End Times of Bram and Ben, and co-wrote the Comixology original Field Trip, and with Asmus. Uh, this book is, quote, an unrepentant, unrepentant action satire tearing through a dystopia pact with economic and humanistic cautionary tales. Uh, and to put it short, it's basically, well... Uh, what if the Muppets or the puppets I don't know if we have what? Muppets <laughs> trademarked and I need to be careful from Sesame Street were uh-huh. real and basically after corporations take over America and the country is deregulated, public broadcasting gets shut down, and like a bunch of the like Muppets that are real from public broadcasting, Come together to become like this group of mercenaries in a post-apocalyptic society. To like say the letter of the day is A, and I'm gonna kick your ass or things like that. Uh, and and I think at one point they they threaten like one of the bad guys who's trying to harm these kids, and they're like, when I'm done with you, uh, it'll be my <laughs> hand, um or something like that because of <laughs> <that's> how <laughs> work. Xander, maybe you'll have to censor that out. I don't know. <laughs> uh so yeah i i read the zero issue it looks pretty funny basically grover is like super grover appears to be like the leader of the group and there's like a a big bird analog and uh a, and a oscar the grouch because how could you how could you not um right and yeah it looks fun Asmus certainly is inclined to write humorous stuff certainly has he's worked on rick and morty as well
0: Mm -hmm. oh yeah asmus did actually did the run that made me believe that rick and morty could be funny again after the previous arc which was absolute garbage that i couldn't finish so yeah you know the guy's got some chops on his and i'm not even gonna tap into the gambit bit i know he wrote a great gambit run but like he also has written other books that are super solid
1: sure yeah absolutely I, i i just threw that one in there for you um thank you. thank you. Yeah, it looks it looks funny. Uh, I mean post-apocalyptic material these days feels like the zombie of like 2012 or so and I feel like we've sure. mined it for all it's worth. But still I think as someone who deeply grew up on PBS, I think my parents jerry-rigged the television to not literally render any other channels um the idea of these characters like being subversive and and like kicking people's asses
0: uh that just seems great to me um okay well i'll i'll give this a shot i looked at the cover for this and it's pretty insane so um yeah. I'm, I'm on board yeah, go go read the zero issue. It's like it's like ten or twelve pages. It it gives you a pretty good idea of, of what you're getting into. Um, sure. Yeah, Kate, what about you? What are what's on the top of your pile? I've
2: got a couple of things. Uh, one of them is Darren Open World, which is releasing this week. This is by the original book is by Oliver Peru, and then the adaptation is by Remy Guerin. And the story is uh, this follows the story of a journalist who can time who can travel between realities and investigates the disappearance of a giant. The word giant is capitalized in the description that I found. So I don't know if this is a creature or a person or like a corporation. Unclear. Okay. But this is this book is definitely steampunk. The co- I really like the cover of it. And it's based yeah. on a, a young adult series by Oliver Peru, who is a French author. And I can't find any previews on this book. Like I can't find any of the, the interior art or the first few pages or anything. Um, But I I mean, it looks beautiful. I like I like the premise of it. So I think I'm going to have to track this down. It is the only book listed under this publisher for the week. And it's a publisher I haven't heard of. I think it was Magnetic Press. Um, So maybe this is a uh, maybe this was like a Kickstarter or something. I'm not really
0: sure, but I'm going to find out. Magnetic Press has done a lot of, like, French adaptations. Like, they, they do a lot of interesting... Like, I bought the the Aster of Pan book, right? I think that was in the reading challenge. Um, that was a Kickstarter. That was a French book that they translated over to English. They also do the Ogre Gods. They've done uh, a couple of other books by, like, some pretty heavy-hitter French artists. Cool. So, yeah, you're probably right. This is just, like, an adaptation for, for English uh, from a French book that already exists. So that means it's, one, going to be gorgeous, and, two, uh, it's going to be, like, very convoluted.
2: Yeah. <laughs> French book, got it. Um,
0: yeah, yeah yeah
2: No, that, that really looks sounds- little
0: cool, a free
1: cigarette tape a the inside of the front cover. of <laughs> yeah. uh,
2: Well, that does sound up my alley. I do like bit uh, uh, cigarettes. Yes. cigarettes? <laughs> <laughs> I yes. like was like, okay. I like adaptations and translated books, even if they get kind of weird. So uh-huh. I do not like cigarettes.
1: <laughs> I mean, we've we've made it pretty clear several times on this show that smoking does look really cool. So I mean, <laughs> if 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 that's worn off on you, and I've done my job, I'll I'll be collecting my check from Marlboro tomorrow. Yeah, I'm Philip sure. Morris is sending you a check and a
0: Ferrari in the car, in the mail. Um, <laughs> Otherwise, Kate, what else are you reading? Uh,
2: I am looking forward to reading Lore Olympus Volume 2 by Rachel Smith. This is based on the webcomic. The the artwork is gorgeous. It's all pink and blue. Um, I was familiar with the art from just reposts online before I even knew that it came from a comic, which is, I mean, Mm -hmm. incredible. Like the fact that that there's just enough art in this book to not have word bubbles in every single panel for me to not know that it was from a comic for a few years. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of art. Very gorgeous. Um, If you're not familiar, um, somehow, (laughs) uh, this is a story about Persephone and Hades' love story. It's been kind of modernized, I think. Like, it's not all just like ancient Greece um, or old <laughs> it's not just old <laughs> uh, and and my husband Brian who's also on the show was nice enough to buy this beautiful hardcover version of this for me shortly after it came out a couple of weeks ago and I just haven't gotten around to reading it somehow it's it's in a pile of other gorgeous hardcover comics. I also haven't read that Brian bought half of for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: if you haven't read this book and, and you are interested in starting from volume one, I do want to say that there is a sexual assault at the end of volume one that I was not prepared for. So <laughs> just heads up. Same.
0: Yeah, Kelly's, Kelly's been reading this book, uh, or reading this webcomic, right? Because she reads it in the Webtoons app where you can read all of it, right? Uh, if you don't want to get the collected edition. Um, so, which is interesting because, like, Webtoons adapted for collections is very, like, a whole thing, like, I could talk about for hours. Um, but, yeah, this book is is fantastic, and I did not see that scene coming at all. And not that it's out of the blue, but, like, I didn't think this book was going to get that dark. Yeah, same. <laughs> like, oh, shit. Based uh, on the art online... Yeah,
2: based on the other line i was like oh this is a wholesome comic about a love story and that's it Mm-mm, nope
0: yeah i mean it's it, that's not just it i guess because yeah. <laughs> it is about them anyways anyways lore olympus is great you should all read it. it it is it's beautiful and it's it's a fantastic story i totally agree with that for me i'm sorry to totally steal your light on that Kate, but uh <laughs> i had to chime in i love that book uh for me, though, I guess before I get into my picks, I want to shout out some of the folks hanging out with us on Discord today. Danny is reading "Sort of Azrael, Dark Knight, and, uh, excuse me, Dark Knight of the Soul number one, and "Sort of Azrael number one, because Danny thinks he can come and join IRCB and then just start throwing two, three, four, five Discord picks out on there. I don't appreciate it at all. Um, <laughs> but that's what, that's what Danny's going to be reading. And then Kev is looking forward to reading Public Domain number two. Funny enough, that is also my pick for this week. Or it was going to be my pick for this week, and then I saw Kev picked it. I changed my mind because I already read number two. My I saw number two in the list. Just ignore me. All right, I'm reading Aquaman Andromeda number two. Sorry, I haven't podcasted in a while. This is all brand new to me again. Uh, Aquaman Andromeda number two. Uh, this is by Rom V and Christian Ward. The cover for this book is Black Manta with a laser sword. Definitely not a lightsaber. It's 100% definitely not a, la- a lightsaber at all because I think DC might get into some trouble if they start using laser swords on their covers. Um, no, it's it's definitely a sword that has a red light on it or something. Um, I think Black Manta got really into like those LED strips, and so he just plugged one into the side of, of his sword that he's got. But uh, the thing that makes me so excited about this book is Rom V. Um, he's an incredible writer he's crafted a story that mixes reality with extreme metaphors about the quote unquote void the infinite darkness like it's very much the kind of story that I am absolutely drawn to like these humongous unbelievably large things that are just all encompassing and all consuming I love that kind of stuff and I think Rom V has managed to tell that story without digging too deep into like your, your stereotypical tropey Lovecraftian feels um, that I think a lot of people would immediately associate with a story about the quote unquote deep of the ocean. Um And, you know, V has a reputation for me uh, delivering consistently, super well, high concept stuff. See also the many deaths of Layla star. Um, So I have both a high bar and high expectations for this series. But either way, this book has a lot of promise. Christian Ward's art is stunning. It's some of his best work to date. Uh, I think if you like some of the stuff that he did on Odyssey back with Matt Fraction way back in the day, this is very similar in terms of the Wild stuff. When you get these insane page layouts and these in, ex, insane two-page spreads, um, you you haven't seen anything like this. And I think he's topping himself every issue. I'm super excited to see what this second issue is going to bring. Um, as if I know what it's going to be. It's I know that it's going to top last issue. And ta- last issue had probably one of the coolest panels um, in a comic book I've ever seen. So I'm super excited for what's coming next. This this book this book is absolutely gorgeous, guys. I just can't get over it anyways i'm gonna i'm gonna before i i expound any further on this uh, we're gonna take a quick break i think when we come back we're gonna be talking about logos in comics comic book logo designers uh there's so many links and images in our notes doc this week i don't know how i'm gonna get it over to the patreon um for those folks but either way we're gonna talk about that and we'll be back in just a second This week on iRead Read Comic Books, we are talking about comic book logos, those wonderful things that you see at the top of a comic or on the side of a volume or, you know, in the middle of a comic sometimes. Those, those things that stand out and make you go, I know that I'm reading this book uh, because it's designed very well. And we're probably also going to talk a little bit about publisher logos because that's also important. But to d- get things started, I guess I wanted to talk about the X-Men logo created by tom muller because of course i want to because that's what we're here for um i'm here for every week is to find some reason to jam x-men into the conversation here on this podcast but uh tom muller's x-men logo was an extreme departure from i think any of the previous logos that we saw Um, and i think the thing that made it super unique is that it was apply uh, applicable to all of the books in the X-Men line, it had this weird symmetry that allowed you to do like flips and turns and you could tell what it was following all of those things that make logos really, really interesting. Um, so I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about what makes a good logo in a comic book as far as Nick and Kate are concerned, because I have some thoughts as well. But I'm curious to know what the two of you think about things like this. And I'm just starting with that X-Men logo by Tom Muller. Um, do you think this is an effective logo and I guess why? Uh, Nick, let's start with you.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that basically X-Men readers and fans have been sort of inundated with Mueller's designs. I want to say uh, what did that basically go hand in hand with Hickman? I think with yeah, Hickman.
0: when we did the House of X powers of yeah. 10 rebrand, we got this brand new X-Men logo.
1: Yeah, and that makes sense. I'm sure Hickman had a hand in that because it definitely feels part and parcel like his graphic design inclinations. Yeah, it was funny when a lot of X-Men people were like, man, I don't know about this. And I was like, (laughs) I've I've seen this logo for years because Tom Muller basically his Snowfall logo and his Snowfall graphic design (laughs) elements (laughs) like – uh, and especially for that book cuz obviously it was based on like you know geometric patterns and snowflakes uh i was like like he he did this like 5 years ago 6 years ago
0: mm-hmm. um
1: for snowfall and to be fair like i i liked that i enjoyed that i i like his his aesthetic with like geometric patterns his obsession with like diamonds and hard edges um mm-hmm. uh i I really like it. I, I think it's um I think it looks great and the way that they've been like sort of redesigning. I know there was like a comicsology sale a couple weeks ago with like volumes of the most recent big X-Men saga and I could see that they were like redesigning using his trade dress elements for the for the for the trade volumes and, and those mm-hmm. looked great too. I mean it's it's an attract- attractive looking design for me. Um, maybe it'll wear off at some point but uh, yeah <laughs> i think it looks great yeah uh, kate what
0: about you what, what are your thoughts on this
2: yeah this is the the logo that is like this kind of geometric x with a white line through it and then a circle around it right mm-hmm, okay mm-hmm. yeah so i've noticed that um, that's been really used in branding i mean you mentioned like this whole redesign with all the x-men books if you uh you post a very nice link in our notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that kind yeah. of shows you how they use that, that same X with the white line through it and the X-Force logo, the Excalibur logo, new mutants doesn't have an X on it, but they still use the same kind of geometric font with, with white, with mm-hmm. lines through it. It's like a whole branding choice. And I think that that really is recognizable for Readers of this book or comics, uh, this whole series, uh, I think is something that is is noticeable enough and and kind of minimalistic enough at the same time that it's going to be it's you're going to know that it all kind of goes together. If it's on if it's on your shelf or in the store, it is like this whole family look that is very adaptable um, as as is, you know, exampled by by its Mm -hmm. adaptability and all these other titles.
0: Yeah, I mean, like if you, I also posted a link to this this article by Blambot, right? Like if if you don't know uh, Nate Pico's, uh, aka Blambot, on the internet, he is probably one of the most prolific letterers in the comic book industry. He's done a lot to, like, move comic book lettering forward. Uh, he wrote a, a really nice article about the successful logo design, which I think is is funny because it go, this goes far and beyond just comic books, right? This is, this is branding. This is if you have a business. This is if you run a company of any kind. You know, this kind of idea still works really, really well, but he's talking about it specifically when it comes to comic books and, you know, talking about what a logo is and what a logo isn't. Um, and, you know, one of the key things he talks about is like, you know, take this logo. If you're designing something, print it out, put it on a wall and then take a couple steps back and make sure that you can still recognize what that thing is. And I think that's what it, you know, a lot of these logos that I think we're gonna talk about today do really well. You know what these things are when you take a step back from them because they are so definitive and they work so well. Like in our in our notes doc, I have a ton of images uh, that I pasted in here of just really, really famous logos and different variations over time. Um, and you know I'm looking at a lot of X-Men logos because that's the first thing I think of always. Um, and all of them somehow incorporate an X, right? Like whether they're the Tom Muller designs or they're the 90s designs or, you know, things from the 2000s or whatever, they all have this very big, bold feel that a comic book cover typically has. But I think the X-Men in particular um, hold on to this extremely bold lettering that come from the like Jim Lee era X-Men, where there was this X-Men kind of raised off of the page um, in big huge capital letters um, and a lot of the other series that came after that and are around that time use a similar style. Um, and, and I think, again, you take a step back and if you're pulling the comic book out of its, uh, you know, long box or short box or whatever, what's the first thing you're going to see is these logos, you know, exactly what you're getting at. Um, and when you do something like what Tom Muller did, where you've branded all of these things, you know, working with the Marvel editorial department, you've branded them all to have a same letter, similar lettering, similar style. They all have this big branded X on them. Um, you know that you're looking at an X book. You're not looking at a Spider-Man book. It's not a Batman book. It's not anything else. Um, and I think that's something maybe we as comic book readers don't think about very often is like how books in a specific line are are styled, right? Like are all the Superman books styled one way or all the Batman books styled a different way? Justice League, X-Men, you know, you could look at this and you start to group them all together and you go, oh shit, they all kind of look the same. Or they're all styled in a way that I I can tell that they are this type of story. Um and I, I find that to be super fascinating. And I think the more you look at this, you start to see these patterns, um, especially when you group them all together. Um but I've been talking for a while. I guess Nick or Kate, what what are your thoughts on logos? Do you have any thoughts? I don't know if you deal with logos at all during your day to day or anything like.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I well, I work for a book publisher, so I have to place logos on all title pages because I do interiors. But yeah, every yeah, yeah. every book gets a logo, so I have to place a lot of logos. <laughs> um, so I yeah, I, I guess I've developed opinions. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pretty much just what I was saying. If it's recognizable on your shelf between uh, between one book and another book, it, as long as you can tell that like a book comes from from the same uh, series or the same publisher, I think so something's been done correctly there. It's also worth noting that a lot of these books, you know, you're gonna you're not gonna frame all of your books. You're not gonna see all of the titles on the wall all the time. So you kind of need a way to shorten the logo to put it on a spine or it needs to be scalable so that it can be really tiny and still be read. Like with the X-Men right. books, I don't have one, but I would guess that they have that just that circled X on the spine. Um, oh yeah. And, or even the, or even the old X-Men logos. I mean, it's, that's only four five, uh, four characters. So it it's going to be scalable. It's going to be noticeable. You're not trying to fit three lines of text on a spine um, so you're mm-hmm. going to be able to to know what you're looking at on the shelf, even if the text is tiny. Um, and I think that that's that makes it successful. Um, at least part of what makes it successful, also with like with just with modern design uh, influences and just the way that things are have been uh, pointing in the last few decades, things are simple. Like we used to get these these logos that had a lot of illustration in them. You've got a Spawn logo in here that has a skull. Your Batman logos have, like, the entire character behind them. And, like, those are really cool and interesting (laughs) on the cover. um, But that's not something that's going to be able to scale down. That's not... um, It's just not... It's... It's not efficient, I guess. Like it's very pretty. Yeah, uh,
0: it's it's hard to make something that's complex into a mark. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like that. There's that d- in branding and design. There's this idea of a mark, right? Where like something can just be easily splattered somewhere, and you could see it and know what it is immediately. And when you get things that are a bit more complex, it becomes very hard to do that.
2: Yeah, and and with the internet, uh, when you're seeing so many things just in thumbnail sized covers, um, especially mm-hmm. like if you, you're gonna want something that people are going to know when they see it without having to zoom in or make it larger or, or download it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nick, what about you? What are, what are some of your thoughts here? I know you've got, you got some different books that you wanted to highlight um, in our notes here, but like, you know, from a high level standpoint, I guess like, how are how do you feel about comic book logos? Yeah. I mean, Kate
1: kind of got to the heart of one of my concerns, which is like not only sort of scalability, but also how do you like future proof your logo? Like how do you, Mm -hmm design something and of course this also gets into like trade dress elements and also just design elements for the whole cover but like how do you you know if you if you've allocated enough space here for the logo and you're going to have the writer and the author up top like what are you planning on if a book has a co-author or what are you planning on if um there are some extra credits that you want to put on the cover like how do you prevent yourself from having to rearrange all of the elements on the page and just start shifting everything into different places and i think mm-hmm. we've all seen you know we've all collected some sort of series where maybe volumes one through three all look uniform and the spine looks uniform and all of a sudden you get volume four <laughs> and the spine looks completely different and the aesthetics are completely off and yeah, you look at yeah. the cover and the in tr- the you know the the trade uh You know, logo elements and the credit elements are shifted into completely different places. And Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're, uh, you know, a a mild mannered, non-neurotic individual, maybe you can sigh and say, is this the biggest problem I have today? And if you're me, you go, this is the biggest problem I have today. This is number (laughs) one. Who do I get on the phone? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So creating logos, creating covers where you can either anticipate what you'll do if those weird little outlier scenarios come up, or if you can design things in such a way where you can prevent those things from coming up, um, I think is really important. Uh, And um, with, with some of the stuff I do at work, I am looking interestingly at at some of the sorts of things that uh, Kate was talking about in terms of like, looking at some of these art images and, 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 and vetting them basically. And so I've, I've seen my fair share of uh, stuff that uh, maybe didn't, you know, plan, you know, these things out or whatnot. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. It's, it's interesting though, because like when, when we're talking specifically about trade dressing, right. Um, I, I feel like we're getting really in the weeds. I hope no one is turned off by this discussion, but yeah, I find it to be fascinating. You put on um, your scuba
1: gear. We're, we're going deep.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, th- this is a, a really interesting thing because, you know, Nick, to your point, you know, Marvel and DC have been have been atrocious about this for decades now, right? Where you buy, you know, I'm looking just at just at a run of of Exiles, right? I have all 16 volumes of Exiles, right? that And that's, that's a pretty long series. And while the design is consistent, the size of the different. Like lettering pieces are all different for for whatever reason I don't know, um, but it's funny because in the and this is this may be a recent thing, but in the like Japanese market um i was following someone on i saw something on tiktok of course because that's where i get all my news nowadays i'm sorry but um i saw someone on tiktok talk about how hunter hunter and and one piece have been published for a really really long time um and so when they started publishing the 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 company um when they published them in english shonen jump had a different logo right it had a it had like a more bubbly cartoony style because it was like 2000s um And so as those series have continued to come out in English, the Shonen Jump logo has changed. So if you buy newer volumes of things like Kaiju number eight, that's been, you know, three volumes out right now. They have a very nice like square Shonen Jump logo, but those old series uh, when they publish the newer volumes, they continue to publish with the old logo so that it has a consistent look when you put them all on your shelf, which I think is super cool. It's like this attention to detail that they know that collectors are going to want, whereas it doesn't seem like some of the bigger publishers in the United States necessarily hold true to that. Uh, I think Image does better. I think Boom does better. But Marvel and DC, we know, are notoriously bad about just the layout on their spines and stuff like that, um, which has to do with the logo, has to do with the text, has to do with a lot of things that come into the design design of things um but besides you know spines and stuff like that i guess uh we can we can jump into some of our favorite logos if you guys want um and nick i'll, I'll just kick it back to you because you've got a really big list here uh, what are some of your favorite logos um for for comics that you've seen recently
1: yeah and obviously this is going to be biased and i think everyone knows that um i i think one of the more simple ones i've seen recently that i've appreciated is just um, when Marvel rebooted, I say rebooted, they didn't have the franchise before they took it. When Marvel acquired, (laughs) acquired the aliens franchise, uh, they went ahead and stuck with the classic logo from the first film, from the movie poster. Mm -hmm. Um, Just the big blocky white letters, really largely spaced out one from the next. Um, And they've just made it this, you know, a header basically Mm -hmm. uh, on the top of every single issue. It's in the exact same place on every single one, um, which I, I really like. I think it helps that this book uh, frequently has like really dark background covers so they can get Mm -hmm. away with that. Obviously I think we've all seen comics where depending upon the colors within the logo and the colors within the background, uh, they will, shift the logo to a different part of the cover so that the, um, the logo, you know, pops. So you don't end up with like a white logo on a white background, a black logo on a black background. Um, right. Right. But alien has always kept it in the exact same position. Um, I like the, uh, you know, consistency of that. Uh, I like that. They've never shifted the color from the, the white letters because that is true to the movie poster. Just you know, like I said, it's 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 consistent. Uh, it's nice that they um, went with what we know, and I think not to read into things too much about you know how does this really make you feel. Just <laughs> it show it demonstrates consumer confidence. I feel like it shows like we understand that we have this franchise that it's a serious thing. We're taking it seriously. We're gonna you know stick to our roots. Um, we're not gonna turn it into some weird flashy wild logo like we understand that we are handling this property and like we respect it and
0: yeah yeah
1: uh you know uh, it's it's interesting because like sometimes you see that with franchise books where they try to really remain close to the source material and other books are like you know we're just going to do whatever we want right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. um you know, when you have a logo like this, it sort of says to a reader or a casual observer, like, this is what you're looking for. Like, this this is the alien you know, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, for, for better or for worse, whenever when you have a title called Alien, let me tell you, when you're trying to Google stuff about alien, it becomes a real difficulty. <laughs> so, yeah. like, what do you do to make people know, like, this is that alien? Well, if you use that logo, then people know. Of course, if you also have a xenomorph on the cover, I think that kind of (laughs) takes the guesswork out of it too, but, uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's me like reading seven levels deep into, um, into that. But, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, I, I really love that one. Uh, one other one I'll just briefly, uh, mention, and I think you brought it up as well Is just The Hellboy logo. It's got to be one of the best. I mean, oh, yeah. Comics Alliance, I saw it on an article yesterday. They called it the best. Now, I don't know about that. I'd have to think about it, but uh, the Hellboy logo is just great. It's just, it's so good. Instantly identifiable.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, they have shifted the colors of it from time to time. I think it originally was black and red, but it has shifted from book to book. Such a great logo. When the movies came out, they even chose to keep that logo, which respect. Yeah
0: yeah um i mean and, this one this yeah. was originally done by kevin nolan right like yeah. this is a who's an artist like who has done a bunch of other things but like to me i mean this is probably his most notable work right well i posted a link and i'm sure it'll be in the show notes as well that like i think uh he also
1: created probably the most identifiable dr strange logo and yo and uh also one of the better known punisher logos as well but like yeah I know nothing about Doctor Strange, but when I saw that, I was like, I think this is the one that everybody
0: wants to use like forever. So I was like, Mm -hmm. holy cow. Yeah, that Doctor Strange logo. Like it, when I think of Doctor Strange, that is the logo that I think yep. of it. Which is for for those of you, obviously, we're talking about a visual thing here on an audio medium. We appreciate we have your links. patience. We will uh, have we'll links. post links, but the, I love that the Doctor Strange logo, and this is similar to the Hellboy logo. It is just stylized letters, but they are stylized in such a way that they go beyond just being a typeface. It's um, evocative. Like, yeah, yeah. You couldn't just you couldn't take Doctor Strange as it is in these logos uh, or these letters and turn it into a font that you could type. It just wouldn't work. Um, And I think, again, to go back to that Nate Picos article on Blambot, um, which will be in the show notes, uh, one of the things that he points out is that a logo is not just a font that you've stylized. It needs to be identifiable in a way that goes beyond just the font itself. Uh, And I think that that is absolutely true when you look at both of these logos, all three of these logos in this picture here for The Punisher, Hellboy, and Doctor Strange. They are so much more than just the letters themselves. It's the composition. It's the way different elements overlap and run into each other. Uh, the type of thing that, again, if you turn this into just a type, like a font that you could type with or print out, it would not work the same. You know, I think we we see this all over the Internet, I think, with when it comes to lettering like things like the grand theft auto font right (laughs) or or star wars font you know people recreate those and you can reuse them for things like we reused a star wars clone font for the i read star wars comic books podcast that we did right that's what i did for all the covers on that um danny in the chat has pointed out the sopranos logo it's the exact same kind of thing like those fonts are reusable but hellboy is not dr strange is not the punisher is not and i think that's what really differentiates these from just regular fonts. And I, I really want to make sure that's called out because that, that difference is subtle, but it is significant.
1: Yeah, and it, it's it's also about creating a logo, even if it's just letters, which in these cases it is just letters, that somehow feels tonally consistent with the subject matter Yeah, um, in a way that is frequently very difficult to enunciate, you just feel it but mm. you feel it nonetheless yeah and you're like this is this is true to this character or this is true to this take on that character or or if you're a creator you know who's presenting a new take on a character you can use your logo as a way to say like yes you might know superman but you know, we're going to create a logo that's evocative of like, oh, this is this kind of a take on Superman. Like maybe the letters mm-hmm. are weathered or they're like broken or or whatever, Um, you know. So, yeah, this is now about, you know, how do how do letters make you feel right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, and how yeah, poorly but- can you try to explain that to someone? No, but-
0: but I, I do appreciate you bringing that up because I'm looking at like the cover for Superman son of kal right? Which is a different character, but it is still like the core Superman book. I think at this point um, I'm, I'm waiting for DC fanboys to come at me because I only read like four books, but uh, Danny's giving me a thumbs up uh, Superman versus Superman son, son of Kalel, Like the difference in those logos, I think from the previous Superman book that was coming out in like 2020, maybe um, the, the font in the, the way that those books are lettered and laid out on their cover <clears throat> they're significant enough that you know that you're getting a different story, but you know who that character is because you're obviously, you know, reading the title, it says Superman, but you know that that feel is going to be slightly different based on how the style has changed for that logo. Um, like I think when we we look at a different Batman books, different, um, uh, different X-Men books, right? Like the logos all feel the same. Um, in some ways but I think especially when we're talking about pre Tom Muller X-Men books um, you knew that they, they were in the same family but the style in which the, the, the logo itself was designed is giving you different feelings I think you get that with Batman you get that with Justice League You know, especially when you're looking at Justice League Dark versus Justice League or Justice Society of America or Justice League of America um, they're all going to be slightly different to let you know that they, they still are inside this Justice League brand but they're, they're giving you different vibes based off of the team composition stuff like that um and i think it takes a subtle like very deft hand to be able to design something like that so that you know that you're getting something different but it is in the same style and family i feel like i've said this on on an episode before years and years ago so i apologize if i'm repeating myself but um yeah Uh, kate Kate, we haven't heard from you in a minute i know you've got a whole thing about logos from publishers that i do want to talk about so um, what, are, what are some of your thoughts, um, you know, from that publishing side of things?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is kind of where my mind went when we decided to talk about logos for this topic. Um, and you guys have been really great in talking about actual, like, characters and series. And then I'm over here, like, sure. I work for a publisher. I got to talk about publishers.
0: <laughs> please, 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 please.
2: Um, I So the, the kind of, I don't want to call it a newer publisher. They've been around for a little while now, but when uh when black black mask came on the scene um i was really impressed with their logo just immediately yeah. um their logo it says it's in it's in black and it says black mask across the top of this um black mask <laughs> it's basically the the b turned on its side um that is under the text but it i mean but it looks like a superhero mask. Uh,
0: I've been looking at this logo for years and I never realized that that was a bee on its side. What a
2: <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I love I love the like kind of multi-use logos where it's where it's Oh yeah. It means something, and also represents something more than just the word or just a picture. Um, and mm-hmm. this is an exact this is an example of of exactly the kind of logo that I like. Um, it's yeah. If, if you read books from Black Mask, you're gonna know what their logo looks like, whether it's the yeah. the the B, the mask, <laughs> or mm-hmm. it's the entire logo with the text on top of it. Like it's it's mm-hmm. just instantly recognizable um, to be at least having seen it before. Um, and just, uh, I wrote in the notes, 10, 10 concept, (laughs) 10 out of 10.
0: (laughs) Yeah, totally. I, you know, and before we dive too much deeper into this, I know we're already like three quarters away through the show, but um, I'm sorry to any designers at home. You know, all of this stuff, but please bear with us. Send us your your thoughts and feedback. Podcast at gmail.com. We'd appreciate it.
1: Yeah, definitely. yeah next week we're going to do serif fonts and sans serif fonts. We're just going to we're going to
0: lean into this so fucking hard. Yeah, I'm going to have so
2: it. many opinions.
0: Yeah. <laughs> He's coming back every week from now on yep. as we go into every design element that goes into comic books.
2: Um, I also wanted to talk about the first, second logo. This is another one that I know instantly uh, on the spine or on the cover or uh, in a thumbnail, anything. I think it's very recognizable, yeah. and it's to the point. Yeah. Um, and again, it's, uh, it's a, a little logo, which is uh, a colon and zero one, and then the words first, second under it. And the zero one means... For a second like you're like you're writing down time and i think that it's wonderful and then i also having stared at this logo for a while in the notes document realized that it actually gets larger from uh left to right as if it were growing and most of their books are coming of age stories about kids who are growing up um just
1: all right.
0: wonderful all right um, all right okay no, no i'm just lo- kidding
1: that's good The that's
0: good. No logo oh, is that clever okay okay yeah <laughs>
1: no one no one's that smart no uh, but I did want to <laughs> mention
2: that the that the text under it, instead of just being this nice kind of straightforward uh, sans serif text like Black Mask has, is instead like this kind of kind of inked handwriting. Uh, the, just the mm-hmm. words for a second, and I just don't think that it goes with their their simple kind of vector graphic zero one angular logo. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it just yeah, doesn't yeah, work yeah. together. Um, and it, I mean, I kind of I kind of see where they got the influence. Like these are a lot of kids books and it kind of looks like something uh, kind of childish in in a nice way. (laughs) Um, But I just, I don't know for being a, for being branding, you know, like it would work if it was the title of, of a series, but for being their branding, I don't think that the actual text font works very well um but otherwise yeah. um
0: i like the logo it, it feels it feels slapdash but it also like i think that's kind of part of it yeah. is that like a clock has ticked forward 1 second and you're writing for say i don't know whatever I let's get, get someone get on the it. phone about it. anyway this. it's I,
1: shit i'm glad we decided that <laughs> i'm glad that's where we settled no, I'm just kidding. yeah
0: yeah yeah
2: uh and then i i only wanted to talk about one more that i really like because the other notes that i have are things that i don't like
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that's Ooh, cool. <laughs> okay so
1: good. okay good. I didn't think Kate was going to be the negative the one negative this one. week, but uh, <laughs> here we are.
2: It wouldn't surprise you to hear that it's the big two that I don't like. <laughs>
0: oh, all right, okay. Well, let's hear. Kate's this. Kate's trying to one. make friends here. Clearly, let's, <laughs> uh, let's let's hear this good one, and then we'll go into we'll right. go into the bad ones. A, um, we'll go so into damage control.
2: The one that I that I like, or maybe it's it's more that I've gotten used to it. Maybe is the image logo, and I and I mm-hmm. like it for a couple of reasons. So first of all it's it's this giant black eye um with this kind of nice uh shaping toward the top of the the stem of the eye um the and letter then, i yes. yeah and just, then the word image so, kind of fits yeah. down at the at the bottom center of it and you can have either one of these things you could have the word image or just the eye and i think that it's recognizable but then you put them both together and it's like yep i know exactly what this is and who made it yeah um yeah and then like They also have these anniversary versions of their logo where they've put the number 20 or 30 right on top of it. And it's just an Mm -hmm. extra information like branding um, celebration that just works really well with the the simple, straightforward, sans serif, black and white. I feel like I'm repeating myself.
0: Uh, No, but it nails it. Right. It's it's simple. It's easy to understand. It's easily recognizable. It's a perfect mark. You put that anywhere and someone's going to know this is an image book. Right. Like I had a shirt on the other day. the I believe in comic books thing. And it's just got the like a splash of color with the eye inside of it. Everyone knows that that's image. Right. If you're a comic fan, you've seen this logo before. Totally.
2: I I especially like this one because with a lot of logos that are long, you kind of have to turn them to put them on the spine of your book and with this tall Mm -hmm. vertical eye you don't have to turn it it just works
0: yeah yeah they they it works really great on the covers too right like for most standard layout covers where you've got the title at the top and you've got like the price and everything in the upper left hand corner like it works perfectly to just kind of throw it up there you know exactly where it's from you know you get the publisher you get the 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 comic title and you get your art beneath it it's it's a it's a really smart smart logo but let's, uh, I guess, before we get into what's bad about logos, um, I guess, Nick, uh, or before I give Nick another chance, I do want to talk about, like, one other logo that I really like, and that's the Stephanie Hans, like, die logo, which is pretty complex, right? Like, if you look at the die logo itself, it's it's a big, unfolded, 20-sided die that has, like, the letters D-I-E kind of broken out in, like, weird ways that I think you could easily misread totally. Is that what um, it is? Yeah, it's, it's okay. an unfolded D20. I think it's okay. really cool. Um, I don't think that it's like super recognizable unless you put it on a whole cover, right? Like if I just saw an unfolded D20, I don't think I would know that it's from this book. But I think the design of it for each of the covers for the series die is gorgeous. It's perfect. Um, I think Stephanie did a great job of, of dealing with like the game side of the story as well as the design side of the story kind of leaning into making things look p- beautiful and broken and fragmented um which you know taps into everything that makes that comic good um i i think if you if you just threw up like this a logo like this nobody would know what it is but th- that kind of goes for a lot of independent stuff right like are you going to know what this is unless you've seen it before but um i do love just how they decided to do that. And if I remember correctly, in the first couple of issues of Die, they broke down how they they played around with some of the layouts for this. Um, and I just, I just love the overall look of this. Like, if you look for any Die cover, you'll see this. Um, and I think it's really smart. Plus, they did that thing where, since there was only so many, co- and like, number of issues in the series, they could put the number of that issue in its spot on the unfolded d20 which i think is really clever um so it works from like a design level it's really really cool um maybe less recognizable but i think like from a like if you start to think about it level it's it's pretty cool so that's the only other one that i really wanted to bring up um
2: i did not notice that their numbers were in the right spot but i did notice that that the letters move around each issue like just to adapt Mm -hmm. to the artwork that's under it and i always always thought that that worked really well
0: yeah yeah um, wow Yeah it's a, it's a really cool It's like a really cool idea for a cover concept It's maybe less of a logo than it is yeah. A cover concept branding, But like yeah. this all Yeah it's branding It all kind of flows together right These logos kind of become brands Become cover layouts It's it's pretty complicated And I I love it I love it so much um, But anyways Nick Nick what's one more that, that you really dug And then we'll get into What Kate hates about <laughs> comics <comedy>. yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I think one of the ones for me that I really appreciate is the TMNT logo for the um, IDW 2012 reboot. Yeah, Uh yeah. Where, uh, especially it's kind of funny on the first volume where it's called Change is Constant, and then here you have this logo that is clearly meant, and I, I, I didn't go look, but I'm pretty certain it is borderline identical to the it may be like a slightly modernized, but identical to the original logo from Eastman and Laird's original run, and I can't prove this, which I guess brings up another point, which is, gosh, it sure would be nice if books would credit their logo artists in the credits. Some oh books have a, some books have a designer, but the designer doesn't always do the logo. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think like someone someone like I think like Ryan Hughes, I think also Tom Muller frequently takes on both design and logo duties, but it's not always the same person. And so you, you don't know for sure. I I feel like Eastman did this logo. I, I mean, he the guy was co-plotting the book and and and, um, you know, doing covers and shit like that. So why would they go hire someone else just to copy Eastman? But it's clearly Eastman's lettering. It's like rough. It's scrappy. Um, It feels very, like, hand-drawn. It's got his sort of angular lettering style to it. The J in Ninja is, like, offset... Yeah, it just, and then, like I said, it's just kind of funny when you look at the first volume where it's called Change is Constant, and that's being written in a font that clearly echoes Eastman's work from like 30 years before. Uh-huh. So I I don't know if they thought about that that much, but the juxtaposition there I found kind of amusing. The
0: more things change, the more they stay the same. yeah. Of course, as we're sitting here, um, I was trying to Google like who that art or who the logo designer was. And I came across this website that allows you to generate like an old 90s style TMNT title. So Teenage right. Mutant Ninja Turtles in like the green font. It's it's amazing. I'm gonna post a link to that in the Discord It'll be in the show notes as well. It's yeah. really, really fun. I also came across that when I was
1: desperately flailing to try to figure <laughs> out who created this logo. Oh, good, um, good, good. Uh yeah, I mean, I, I I think, again, when you look at a logo, and maybe this is like my hot take, I think a logo is almost even more important than a cover in terms of getting a feel or a tone for the book because the cover image is going to change from month to month. It might not even be mm-hmm. the same artist, but assuming you're not like a wild and crazy book, like, I don't know the most recent image anthology, which I think has a different logo every single time, you know, your cover, your logo, sorry, your logo is consistent. And so it, it has to be the consistent representative on your book for, for tone and aesthetic and feeling. And for me with this TMNT logo, like it was like, you know, what are you getting out of this TMNT take, you know, as there have been so many different takes over decades and, when you have this logo that's clearly Eastman's lettering and it echoes that old feel like it sort Mm -hmm. of tells you like this is the kind of take we're doing it's gonna be you know it's gonna be weird and it's gonna feel like much more like homemade and not like curated with all of the rough edges sanded off and everything it's gonna echo back to Eastman's run and Mm -hmm. again that's like sort of the power of a logo is you can look at something like this which literally it's just you know it's letters in a typeface and you're like okay i sort of i get where this is going to go i don't know
0: i totally agree with what you're saying because it definitely feels like you can convey so much with these logos like i i feel like every time you look up you know i think we take a lot of this for granted as as Mm -hmm. readers but you can get the entire feel of a book or you should be able to get the entire feel of a book from those logos. Mm -hmm. I think maybe some indie creators don't necessarily understand that. Um, I think sometimes they miss the mark. They get a really cool logo, but it doesn't actually reflect the comic and really successful creators will actually get the right logo for their book. And I think it totally pays off. Like I think of, I think of books like, uh, like the OZ, right? That was that that book that came out um from our friend whose name I'm blinking on right now. Um, but that book, it's it's got the OZ. You know that it's about Wizard of Oz because the Oz is like the title of the book. Um, but it's it's this gritty, like stamped metal, and you know that it's gonna be more action, more war, more crazy stuff than you would expect from the Wizard of Oz. So like I, I love that kind of stuff. Um but, anyways, we we could talk more about comic book stuff. We've or comic book logos all day, um, but I do want to hear Ka- Kate's like I'll actual take. complaints about Marvel and DC. So <laughs> let's get some takes in before we wrap up the episode. Yeah. So oh, thank you, Danny, David Pepos. That's our that's our friend um, who did the Oz. But uh, Kate, go ahead.
2: I I noticed that I didn't like the Marvel logo a long time ago um, when I was trying to collect the the original Runaways print, um, like digest sized books and yeah, yeah, I yeah. I collected them in that version because that was almost the first comic that I really read to like appreciate comics and get into comics and I couldn't find the books with the the same logo on the spine which is a problem that you've already mentioned <laughs> my, uh, Nick I think <laughs> <laughs> But also just the Marvel logo is kind of heavy handed like it's just the word Marvel kind of all run together with with no tracking between the letters Um, and it's red Mm -hmm. and white Mm -hmm. and it's just it's it's like they made the decision that they were Marvel and they didn't have to be subtle. (laughs)
0: um yeah it's it's not just the spine it's also like anywhere else that it's printed like dc at least tries to put a little circle yeah you know everywhere else vertigo even i mean vertigo is just text but like i'm just looking at my bookshelf right now and i'm like a lot of other people try to do more than just have text
2: yeah (laughs) yeah and it kind of screams at you i mean Having a logo that's not just black and white is is kind of nice. I mean, like, I feel like a lot of the logos I, I like are just black and white, but but it just screams at you from from whatever you're looking at. Like, if it's on a spine, it's sometimes the only red thing on the spine, so you're going to notice it, or from the cover, or if it's on anything, um, merchandising for any of their properties. It's just loud. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay you know they don't have
2: to be subtle because they're marvel and they know it
0: yeah that's exactly exactly they should
1: just change it from marvel and just keep it in that font and just put it's us
2: yeah and just uh, you know who it is (laughs) it's us you know who it is um it is recognizable i'll give them that like could not mistake it for anyone else um and then the dc logo they've at least like changed up their logo a little more often than marvel Uh, i like that they're willing to adapt and change and they've been they've had that that consistent dc it's small and and more subtle at least um but looking at i found this um this document with all of the different historical marvel logos in it and i don't like any single one of them
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well dc here's the thing like the the dc logos i think Uh, and the the dc logo has changed quite a bit and to the point almost to their detriment, right? Like they've changed it in such a way that like one of the examples in here, I remember seeing this because DC, when I used to work at comicsology, DC changed their logo, like split second and didn't tell anybody. And like, it was a problem because we had to fix something on their web, their, their comic sales website. And, um, Yeah, I remember it being such a hassle because nobody in the office liked the new logo. Um, And then I got this whole like talking to from a a product manager about like the history of DC's logo. And I remember digging into this. And the one that just totally rubs me the wrong way is the one that's just a big old superman jumping out of the words dc superman like they were so obsessed with promoting superman as a character in the like 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s uh it's insane and then eventually you know they had other stuff uh but i just thought it's so funny that that one with superman just like flying out of the letters is so stupid to me <laughs> But anyway, sorry, to, not to steal the whole thing. I just like I remember that so vividly being dumb.
2: Yeah, like they're they're a whole company that has different different comics, and yet they're kind of throwing all of their eggs in one basket, including in their branding. I get it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like all of all of everything is just they've they've added things, they've taken away things, they've got stars in some of them. There are two circles and yeah. other ones. Um, They do seem to have moved toward this, like, kind of blue and white logo, almost, like, as a response to Marvel's uh, red and white logo. It's like they want to pop out and be different um, on a shelf. Um, But, I don't know, all of them, when I look at, especially the last, like, three logos, um, they just all look like sports teams and not books to me. Like, there's just something, um, I don't know, more... More well, like I mean, I sports would...
1: teams works because they do want you to pick a side and they expect you to root for them uh, <laughs> yeah. unrepentantly. The so it <laughs> really, yeah, yeah that's, that seems fair.
2: It, it just yeah. seems like something that I would see on a billboard above like a basketball team instead of on a shelf in a comic shop for some reason. And I couldn't really pinpoint why, um, but it, especially the, uh, the, not the most recent logo, but there was one that was uh, like... It has this big swoop around it with a star on it. Like that's a basketball team.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, the problem is that they went from that, which is a pretty recognizable, good-looking logo, in my opinion, to the peel-off DC thing, which I oh never. Oh my understood. god! I, think, I, I don't get
2: that it. one. It doesn't look like it's. I
0: such... forgot about that. Oh. 2012 was a hard year for DC fans, I think, because they were doing the new 52. They decided to create this new logo that just looks like garbage. Um, And then they moved to the old, like this newer, modern looking DC logo, which is the one that we see now that just looks like a stamp. And it looks like someone didn't finish the lettering pass. And there's all these weird cuts and marks, and nothing's consistent. But at least it's less complicated than the DC tear off piece of paper thing that looks unfinished in someone's draft that they published. So I don't know. They got away from the gradient (laughs) tree. I I also don't. I also don't care for these logos either, Kate, so yeah. like, I'm right there <laughs> with you.
2: <laughs> I just like the subtlety of, of independent publishers and the creativity that we're seeing in those as opposed to this mm-hmm. kind of uh, more direct, large, um, I don't know, these, these big two publishers. Yeah, yeah.
0: This competition that's uh, happening. <laughs> Well, I guess uh, before we go any further and any longer, I know this is a very long episode, so I apologize in advance to everyone at home. Not really, but apologize (laughs) to our editor, Xander. Um, We're going to wrap things up here. I appreciate the commentary. Check out our notes on Patreon. If you're a subscriber, you can check those out. Um, But next week's episode, I'm not going to be here because I'm going to Gen Con. We're going to see what happens. Uh, But Paul, Danny it's going to be his first official episode on the show, and Kate will be talking about... Animals in comics. And I guess Paul's not on the episode. I forgot. Kara's going to be on the episode next week instead of Paul because Paul's out. But um Kara, Danny, and Kate are going to be talking about animals. The title I put on the show is going to be This is Not a Furry Podcast. I promise. Our favorite animals are anthrop- anthropomorphized characters in comics. It's going to be a great time. Check that out. Make sure you tune in live on Discord. Um, and as always, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Nick at Death Star Plans. You can follow Kate at Kate Elfier. You can follow me at Mike Rappin. And you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at IRCB Podcast. So go check out our TikTok. It's really, really fun. Um, Renee and everybody is having a great time submitting small little videos. And it's it's been a blast. This
1: episode first aired on Patreon and is possible because of our wonderful
0: patrons. Join today for
1: exclusive series like IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, and more. Join now at patreon.com forward slash IRCB podcast.
2: If you haven't already, please rate and review our show, Five Stars, on the Apple Podcasts, Spotify, which does have ratings, or wherever you listen to podcasts, because you know that we deserve it.
1: Join the IRCB Discord community to chat comics and more. Plus, you can listen to our episodes live as we record every week. Check the link to our Discord in the show notes.
2: Podcasts grow best when spread by word of mouth, so why not tell your friends, family, and local comic shop about IRCB?
0: I was just telling people about the show yesterday because I was wearing a Department of Truth t-shirt and I was like, I can't tell you more about this comic. You have to listen to my podcast. Uh... (laughs) infinity shred is the best band in the universe they do all of our music they have a brand new orchestral version of a lot of their songs that's coming out very soon make sure you go check that out at their Bandcamp or on their website infinityshred.com. Xander is a very cool guy who we all appreciate we we appreciate that he makes us sound great every week he's the editor of our show i want to say thank you to kate and danny and nick for for helping on this week's episode and shout out to everyone on the discord that was hanging out with us you are wonderful people and thank you the listener for listening until next time comics are good So are you. that's the show
2: so long we had so much to say
0: we yeah yeah xander's gonna be so fucking mad at me (laughs) (laughs) oh i should hit stop